Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good morning everyone. Ooh, that was uh, a bit loud. Well, as as you may know, Pastor Charles has been uh, going through a selection of psalms uh, under the topic um living in a world seemingly gone mad. And so and so we've we've gone through Psalm chapter 1. Last week you looked at Psalm 51 and this morning we'll find ourselves in Psalm 73. So if you could turn there Psalm 73 um and we'll read all 28 verses. Now whilst you turn there the 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 topic that we'll be looking at today is those moments when you feel like God is not good. Those moments when you feel like God doesn't Okay. And so this morning we will consider Psalm 73 verses 1 to verse 28. Psalm 73 verse 1 reads, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for they have no pangs until death their bodies are fat and sleek they are not in trouble as others are they are not stricken like the rest of mankind therefore pride is their necklace violence covers them as a garment verse 7 their eyes swell as through fatness their hearts overflow with follies they scoff and speak with malice loftily they threaten oppression They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, "How can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches." Verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned the end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord when you rouse yourself you despise them as phantoms when my soul was embittered when i prick when i was pricked in heart i was brutish and ignorant i was like a beast toward you nevertheless i am continually with you you hold my right hand you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory whom have i in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that i desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for behold those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you but for me it is good to be near god 
I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray to Almighty God. And so, Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, God, I ask that you would help me to be clear in speech. I ask, God, that that which I have prepared here this morning is from you. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't speak in error. And, Lord, I pray that I wouldn't insert myself or look to lift myself up in the process of proclaiming your word. I do ask that you would humble me, Lord, and use me as a servant as, as I speak to your people. And, God, as you speak through me, through your word, by your spirit to your people, Lord, we ask that their hearts would be softened. We ask that they would receive your word and, and be challenged where they need to be challenged and encouraged where they need encouragement. And God, I do ask if there is one in this room who is unsaved, that God, you would draw them to yourself here this morning, that they may leave believing in you and in you alone. But God, we also ask if there is one here this morning who is at the point of despondency, Lord, who is at the point of almost giving up. Lord, they, they, they foot, their feet have slipped and, and, they, and they are down in despair, in depression, wondering does God even care? Lord, I ask that as they've walked into your sanctuary as Asaph did, that God, you would change their perspective, that you'd renew their minds, that you'd clear the lenses of their glasses, that they could see the world as you have described it. And so God, we ask that you would lead us by your spirit as we fellowship to the preaching of your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, the first thing we want to consider is the disclaimer. The psalmist starts off his, his, uh, his passage with a disclaimer found in verses 1 to verse 3. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever had those conversations where you're talking to a friend or you're talking to another believer and, and you're, just, you're just tired, you've experienced a lot of the troubles of this earth and, and you just say to them, God is good, but you. Or you say, God is good, but ah, 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 ah. not like this. The psalmist here, he starts with a, a strong disclaimer because, because he explains what almost cost him. He almost lost his footing. And he tells us already in the beginning, as he's going to explain what, what almost cost him, but he tells us what kept him. It was this belief that he shares early on in verse 1 that would keep him from stumbling. And this belief was truly God is good. God is good. And all the time, it was a risk, but I'm glad you guys were still awake. We say that so much, God is good. All the time and all the time, God is good. But friends, do we believe it? You see, the psalmist, he starts with this disclaimer, but we'll see at the end of the psalm that it's not just words that, that is just a Christian cliche or, or Christian sayings. It's things that he believes. Asaph is our author here, and he's not talking about just the general benevolence of God. He's not talking here about God's goodness to, to everyone, where everyone experiences rain and harvest. Everyone can experience good health and wealth. Everyone can experience good friendship and family. This is not just for the just, but it's also for the unjust. He's not talking about that goodness. He's talking about the goodness of God that is reserved for a specific people. A goodness of God that is not experienced by everyone who walks on the earth. It is an intentional goodness that is received not merely by those who dwell in Israel, but by those whose hearts are pure. 
And so as Asaph, he inserts this in verse 1, I want to insert it early on in our sermon and ask the question, is your heart pure? Or, or, do you, or do you think, do you believe that you are going to receive the goodness of God just because you have that name Christian? The goodness of God here is reserved for those whose hearts are pure. Is your heart pure? Are you among those who receive the goodness of God? The goodness of God is seen in verse 23. He says, nevertheless, I am, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. The goodness of God that the psalmist is talking about is the very presence of God in a world that has seemingly gone mad. Can you testify? Can you bear witness that you have experienced this goodness of God or this morning, does your heart need a scan? Do you need to search your heart and, and see if your heart is clean? Or, or maybe you'll realize that, that what your heart needs is not just a cleansing, but you need a heart transplant. You are dead and without Christ. You may be sitting here believing in the goodness of God, shouting hallelujah when you receive the good grace gifts of God. But friends, if your heart is not drawn to Christ, if your heart does not have Christ as king, if you are not his, then what is a slip to Asaph will be a fall for you. Friends, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, but, but you, you think you, you, you have experienced the goodness of God, then, then friends... You don't believe that, that God is good, but you believe in the good things that God gives. And so when you sit on the fence like Asaph, and when you see the wicked flourish whilst you suffer, whilst you, suffer you, may, you may say like Joe's wife, you may, you may come to the point, I'd rather curse God and die. Because that's the point of being a Christian when there aren't any benefits. And so Asaph says, I almost fell. I almost lost my footing when I was envious of the arrogance, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. A commentator by the name of Boyce, he, he sort of tries to get into the mind of Asaph and tries to explain to us some of the things that Asaph was thinking about. He writes this, he says, Asaph could have been thinking this, if God is in control of all things, then the plans of the wicked should flounder, they should stumble. They should be punished openly. It should be the godly alone that prosper. You see, this is a thought that is prevalent today. This is, a, this is a, a, a part of the reason why the prosperity movement continues to grow and gain momentum because there are Christians who are here today who believe that they should be exempt from suffering because of their faith. Health. Wealth, prosperity is fitting for the children of the king. It sounds like a great point to say amen. You see, though we can spot this error easily amongst the hyper-charismatics, friends, there are those who are among us here this morning who do believe this, who do believe that the righteous shouldn't suffer, that the righteous should be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Boyes continues and says, but this was not the case. Asaph, Asaph saw that it was not so. He saw, and as we see, that we are surrounded by scoundrels who continue to get rich. 
who utterly degenerate, the, the utterly degenerate persons like particular vile rock musicians and movie stars who are paid and sought after. Even criminals get rich selling their stories on Mzansi Magic. It pays to be wicked, literally. And so what we see, and is my next point, is there seems to be a disparity. There seems to be a disparity, and you see this in verses 4, four to 14. Have you ever sat on the corner of your bed after a long, tireless day and just wondered, God, why is it that the righteous suffer whilst the wicked live in absolute luxury? You see, the, the psalmist described what seemed to be a contradiction. Hey, what I, believe, what I said I believed in verse 1, I believe that God is good. I believe that He is good to those who are His, but I can't seem to wrap my mind around the fact that it seems as though I have the wrong end of the stick. As the believer, as the one who loves God, I'm the one who's suffering while those who have rejected God are living their best lives now. For it is the wicked, he says in verse 4, that have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. You see, though we all go through load shedding, though we all go through crime, and we all go through the petrol and food hikes, we don't all go through them in the same way. It seems as though while we are suffering with load shedding, others are still living their best lives with their lights on. We also know of that colleague at work, that one who has a filthy mouth, that one who has no regard for God, but their passport is full of stamps. Mauritius, Thailand, France, Paris. <laughs> or we all know about the teenager in high school who when you look at their Instagram, when you look at their reels, they are at every party, they are constantly smoking weed, they are constantly drunk, but guess what? They are passing. There's a, it, the psalmist seems that there's a disparity. We also know about the horrible stories of, of that boss who, who will only give you a promotion, ladies, if you sleep with him. Or we all know of that friend who takes bribes or that neighbor who's involved in shady dealings, but they are happy. They, they are spending loads of money. They are always here, there, and everywhere. The cars on the driveway is beautiful. But not all of the wicked are rich in terms of their prosperity, but they seem to have the rub of the green. They seem to, when they apply for the job, they get it. And so when we watch this, we go to the Lord and pray. And we say, Lord, you know I prayed for that job. But it seems as though you have, you have given that job to that person who we all know doesn't love you. In fact, doesn't care about your existence, God. And God, you know that they will use that money to fulfill their lustful passions. But God, I'm here at church Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes I'm here in the morning and in the evening and I had family Bible hour. God, I attend Bible studies on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. That's a plug. There are Bible studies at the church at Wednesday at 7. God, I pay my tithes. God, you know I support the interns. I paid the lump sum. I'm not paying monthly. I supported them. God, I'm discipling someone and yet nothing. I sit at home whilst the bodies of the wicked are fat and sleek. What's the point of being righteous if being righteous doesn't pay? I remember when my wife and I were trying for Malachi. 
We prayed whilst in faith we tried for a child. But when days and months and years went by, like Asaph, we almost lost our footing. You look at couples, couples that are are having casual sex outside of marriage. They have no intention of marriage. They have no understanding of the grace of God in the beautiful gift of children. But they are the ones who easily fall pregnant. God, you know they won't use, they won't raise this child up in the ways of the Lord, and yet you gave them a child. God, you know they may even consider aborting this baby, and you still gave them a child. God, why them and not me? We were envious of the arrogant when we saw the prosperity of the wicked. Not only are the wicked prospering, but they are arrogant about it. Look at verse 6. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Like peacocks, you can't avoid the strut of the wicked. Every day you're reminded of what you don't have because they flaunt what they have in your face. You go on Instagram, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, you attend that body corporate meeting, you go to that parents meeting at school and all you will find even at home is loud music, fancy cars in the driveway, fancy clothes and the wicked just being rich. You can't miss them. In arrogance and in sinfulness, they also sometimes hold the keys to your success. They hold the keys to you succeeding in your career. They hold the keys in you succeeding in your studies. But but in, in, in exchange for you succeeding, they want you to compromise. Forget about your God. You want money? pay a bribe. You want, you want this, this tender? Pay a bribe. You want this job? Sleep with me. Compromise and you will get what you want. What will you do for me? If you don't do it, we all know the story, you don't benefit. And if you don't benefit the wicked anymore, then you just become nothing but a doormat. You see all your juniors being, being uh, promoted one after the other while you are still in the same position for 20 years. Eventually you wonder what's the point. God, this is a raw deal. Life's not fair. What's the point of obedience if you won't reward my obedience immediately with good things? What's the point of being committed to Jesus when it looks like being committed to Jesus has no benefits? It looks like it pays to be wicked. And in many times as believers, we compromise because we've seen it work. And so verse 10b, he says, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Verse 11. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every day. Are you there this morning? This picture that I've painted here, does does that describe you? 
Does God even care about us? Does he see? Does he hear us begging him for, for help? Spurgeon said, poor Asaph. He questions the value of holiness when its wages are paid in the coin of affliction. Has the suffering you've experienced on the tilted scale of the prosperity of the wicked caused you to doubt the goodness of God? Has it caused you to walk away from God? Has it caused you to revert to, you know what, if God won't help me, then I will help myself. And in helping yourself, you adopt the methods of the world and the wisdom of the world. Does that describe you? Church, this is a sermon talking to a real people living in a real world. This is not just hypothetical. This is people in this room. It's not a person. It's, it's, it could be many of us who are currently going through this feeling right now. Christians struggling with doubt because the expectation of Christianity seems to not match the bliss and pleasure that the world seems to offer. Behold the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And so what do we do? Look at verse 16. He says, but, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Other translations read, when, when I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. Church, whilst you find yourself sitting on the fence, whilst you find yourself sitting in front of the TV of the world, consuming, watching the reality show called The Real Sinners of Planet Earth, whilst that is you, then you will find yourself slipping. Some have slipped to doubt, whilst others have fallen away. And so my next point is the dawning. I want to encourage you to turn off the TV and step into his reality. Turn off the TV and step into his reality. In verse 14 to 19, it says, For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned the end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. This is the moment where the psalmist he catches himself. He did not want to slide with others. Church, have you noticed how, how contagious despondency is? How contagious doubt can be? How contagious hopelessness is? We fall into the rut of complaining and then justifying our complaints. This psalmist caught himself and, and said, that won't be me. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's saying, if I spoke this way to others, if I spoke this way to the next generation, the Gen Zs, then he would be doing them a disservice because he knew that his worldview at that moment was tainted. The glasses to which he viewed the world had a smudge on it. His view and understanding of the world and everything around him had been altered. His feet almost slipped. His view of the world was infected and therefore it was affected. His gaze was affected. His eyes were now fixed on man and no longer on God. 
And so then where's the hope, pastor? Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. His glasses were cleaned. The lights came on. His perspective was restored when he went to church. His balance or his footing was restored when he returned to the gathering. If you listen to my last sermon, you'll think that I have an agenda. Because in my last sermon, I also spoke about attending church. But I do believe in the importance of the gathering of the saints. If you don't come to church, you will be consumed by the imbalance of the scales because it won't be rectified. You need constantly your mind to be renewed, your worldview to be cleansed. And friends, that's why God has given us the beautiful institution of the local church. Don't stay at home when things are bad. They don't get better because you're sitting on your bed moping. Come to church. The preaching, the ordinances, the praying, the singing, and the fellowship are life-changing. A man by the name of John, John Thorne said this. I love this. Listen to this. He says, The local church assembled for worshiping our triune God is the place where God's word and spirit are at work to move us to repentance, revive our hearts, instruct our minds, and reveal to us the plan and purpose of God in all things. The songs we sing lift up the truth of God and resonate with our faith, however small our faith may be. The word of God, read or preached, penetrates the inner man to uncover unbelief and expose sin and lead us back to the love of God for sinners like you and for sinners like me. The Lord's Supper allows us to fellowship with God as we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Prayer is the needy cry for mercy from, from, from the God of compassion who hears us and is ready to answer us in our time of trouble. In the sanctuary is where all this happens in the most effective and concentrated form. And so church... Staying at home, licking our wounds, being envious of the wicked does not restore our hope. It does not heal, but instead it calluses our souls. Callous, the only other word I know for callous is mkenke. It makes your heart hard, making us increasingly less sensitive to the truth we need to hear. It causes us to believe that there's something else out there that can bring me joy and satisfaction, but friends, that is far from true. The psalmist's perspective changed when he stepped into the sanctuary. For 14 verses, the psalmist had been fixated on man, but now he sees God. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints because it is only there in the gathering of God's people for worship where our souls can be made right as we are reminded of how great our God is and how faithful he is to us. I want to tell a story about a cow named Kawi and his friend named, Wu, named Mu, and I have them up there. That's Kawi and that's Mu. They both ate and they gossiped about the chickens as they were grazing on the field. 
and they also gossiped about their owner as they normally did, as they normally did when they grazed. But all of a sudden, Kawi realized that they fed his friend Mu more than him. They gave Mu special treatment. They gave him grapes, watermelons, and other delicious fruit. They gave Mu spa treatment, clipping his nails and grooming his hair. They fanned him as he ate. They gave him extra grass to feed. They even put up a gazebo over every place where he fed. As Kawi watched this, he wondered what was going on. Why the partiality? Then they heard in the distance the voice of a little child saying, Happy birthday, Daddy. I can't wait for your friends to come so that we can have delicious steak and scopo. Scopo is cow's head. Do you think with this information that Kawi envied the spoiling of Mu? <laughs> it is when you come into the local church that your, your lenses are cleansed. Mu was being fattened for the slaughter. Just the wicked are being fattened for the slaughter. Verse 17b says, Then I discerned the end. I got it. The end is not going to be joy and bliss and happiness. Verse 18, Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. The higher the wicked go, the harder they fall. Hearing the word of God read and preached, Abel was able to see the foolishness of his former way of thinking. He was responding in in ignorance. He was responding, ignoring the truth of God about eternity. Friends, God's word clearly teaches us, and I want to remind us here this morning, that the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us as Christians. So church, what took the wicked sometimes years, sometimes days or months to build, what what the wicked have spent so much time on, on working on and establishing themselves, all of this will be brought to nothing. The Lord will make them fall to ruin. What looks like peace today is deception in the hearts of the wicked. The prosperity of the wicked is not worth envying because it is like vapor here today and gone tomorrow. In their prosperity, they have the audacity to mock God. But friends, though they live and breathe and have their being, we learn from the scriptures that they are dead. Like our friend Mu, the wicked are being fattened for the slaughter. And so I want to encourage you here this morning. Our hardships, they have meaning. Our seasons of wanting have meaning. Our moments of sorrow, pain, disappointment, injustice, oppression, and so on are not meaningless. They have purpose. God is working through all of them. The first purpose is, of course, the glory of God. 
The second purpose is to remind us that it is God who is sovereign and to remind us that God is self-sufficient. And as I think of the sovereignty of God, as I think of the self-sufficiency of God, I must be reminded that I am finite, I am weak, I am brittle, and I am absolutely reliant and dependent on God. Remind, Remind yourself of this truth. And finally... When we go through hardships, it's to remind us that, friends, we are just pilgrims. We are just passing by. And so the hardships work for our edification to build us up, to make us more and more like Jesus, to prepare us for that wedding feast. And so to close, I want want us to look at the drawing. The drawing, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. I I hope you didn't miss it. It wasn't the balancing of the scales or the tipping of the scales to the favor of the righteous over the wicked that helped Asaph find his footing. It wasn't even seeing the wicked suffer that helped Asaph. It wasn't seeing the wicked die that helped him. It was God. God caught Asaph before he fell. In fact, when I read this, I was reminded of the interaction between Jesus and Peter and the other disciples who were there. Jesus sends out his disciples to travel ahead of him while he would go up the mountain to pray. And whilst the disciples were sailing on on, on their boat, the, the boat was rocked with strong winds, and so they were afraid. And whilst the boat was rocking and the wind was blowing and the waves were coming, They saw this figure walking on the water and afraid again, they thought it was a ghost. Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. When Jesus calls Peter, Peter finds confidence. And in fact, he, he, he sees that this is the Christ. And then he walks on water toward Jesus. He, he's never done this before. But he sees it's his Messiah. And all he knows is he's invited me to come to him. And so I will come. And so he walks. But as soon as Peter turned his attention to the wind and the waves, he began to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why do you doubt? Chester, the moment you fix your eyes on the prosperity of the wicked, the moment you live your life in in envy of the wicked, in anger towards the scales that are tilted, then you too will sink. This will be your fall. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Come to church. Get off the stream. Don't buy the devil's lies. Listen to the truth that is being preached. Come to the scriptures. They are sufficient to address everything that we go through in this life. In verse 25, he says, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. 
Church, the end of the wicked is fixed. It is fixed in the divine plan of God. They will perish in their sins and in their deception. If you are here this morning and you have placed your faith in good circumstance, you have placed your faith and your confidence in material goods and in a soft life, then you, my friend, will perish like them. If you have placed your faith in, in, or, or security in fleeting things like money, good jobs, good investments, beautiful homes, good bosses, and a lack of suffering, then you, my friend, only have a soft pillow in first class of the plane to hell. Like Mu, they are being fattened for slaughter. The grass isn't green on the other side of God. But church... In Christ, we have everything. We have the salvation of our souls. We have an eternity waiting for us with God. We have peace that surpasses all understanding. We have an advocate and a great high priest who prays for us. We have a God who is in control of all things and works out the evil we see today for our good. We have a God who owns a kettle on a thousand hills. We have a God who is generous with his grace. We have a God who loves and loves intentionally and if you are his he loves you oh believer wait on the Lord wait on the Lord that is the best gift you could ever have the best gift is having the living God by your side nothing surpasses that knowing that like a good shepherd his rod and his staff will comfort you in verse 28 he says but for me it is good to be near God I made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works. The narrative has changed once his perspective was changed. When you draw near to God, you find strength in times of wanting. You find in Christ contentment and peace that surpasses anything money can buy. So church, shout from the rooftops. Shout with confidence that though the wicked flourish, it is but a vapor, but my inheritance rests secured in heaven. And so John Piper wrote, every cave that you are in, wandering along, feeling the rocks, stumbling, stepping, bumping your head, every cave that you are in is a tunnel that opens into glory. It opens into a day like today in heaven when the sun is shining and the grass green and the waters flowing as long as you don't sit in the cave and blow out the candle of your faith. Church, have faith in God. God is at work. And so I want to close just by reading a psalm and then I'm done. I want to close with reading the psalm, Psalm 37. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to pray for us. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in verse 1 says this. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. 
Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn. Your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in His way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger. Give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I ask, as the Puritans prayed, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, Make our hearts prize your love. Know it, be consumed by it, though it be denied all blessings. It is your mercy to afflict and try us with ones. For by these trials we see our sins and desire severance from them. Help us willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations. If we can thereby feel sin as greatest evil, and be delivered from it with gratitude to you, acknowledging this as the highest testimony of your love. Lord, when, when we fear that our faith will fail, thank you that Christ will hold us fast. When the tempter would prevail, thank you that Christ will hold us fast. We could never keep our hold through life's fearful path. For our love is often cold, but he will hold us fast. He will hold us fast, for our Savior loves us so. He will hold us fast. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.